once again. Welcome to a uh, Georgia Week free edition of PFL. I am your host, David Ubbin, here with my co-host, Joe Rexrode, the, Atla- the Athletic Nashville's columnist. Uh, Joe, welcome. Uh, the Vols survive Saturday. Do not take another loss. Um, still do not <laughs> log a victory over an FBS opponent, however. Uh, any, any stray thoughts to get us started uh, on the Vols coming into uh, the game against Georgia that we three touchdown underdogs at home? Stray thoughts. Hmm. Well, a little bit off topic, but they may now be. I, mean, I think they already were the most disappointing and alarming team in the state. But the, you know, of course, just covered the Titans winning in Atlanta. So now there's some pressure on the Vols to perform <laughs> well against a team from the state of Georgia. Uh, I'm not sure I like their chances. A little bit more of a mismatch uh, in Knoxville this week. Yeah, I think. Uh... That's probably safe to say. We have to start with the quarterback situation, I think. Uh, If you're not a subscriber at The Athletic, I would encourage you to change that. But I've got a story today uh, talking about the situation, exactly what has gone on with Jarek Garantano, uh, or Garantano, excuse me. (laughs) Joe, let me throw some numbers at you that I uh, featured in that story, uh, most of which are courtesy of Sports Info Solutions, our... uh, fabulous uh, advanced numbers provider uh last year Jarek garantano dropped back 268 times and his throws were on target 79.7 percent of the time uh that was good for 10th nationally this year Not that number, all. this year that number is down to 75.3 that's 48th nationally among quarterbacks with at least hmm. 20 attempts And then on the subject of interceptions, last year, Garantano throws a pick once every 89.3 dropbacks. That was eighth best nationally. This year, once every 25 dropbacks. That's 109th nationally. And then, of course, when he goes uh, under pressure, this is where it's really, really interesting. Last year, when he was under pressure, he was on target 73.2% of the time. Joe, that was number one in the nation. The absolute Mm. best, most accurate quarterback in college football when he's under pressure. This year, down to 61.5%. That's 38th. And on-target passes, of course, not completion. It's just balls that are thrown and are catchable. So the question now, of course, is sort of what, what do you do with that? Uh, Do you have any sort of theories or what have you seen from Garantano it just doesn't make any sense on its face. It just doesn't. But what do you sort of make of what we've seen, you know, through four games heading into, you know, the, the, the last two-thirds of the season? Well, I'm shocked that he was number one in being on target under pressure last year. That, that, doesn't, that does not mesh with what I saw. And, again, I thought – I think you and I probably thought around the same about him last year, which was you saw some promise. You saw areas he needs to improve. You, you know, you could see where he could take a pretty sizable step this year, especially with Jim Chaney coaching him. Um, I, so I'm already kind of baffled by that stat. Uh, but I'm not surprised at all that everything's gone down because that does look right to me. That's, that's what I think we're seeing. And, mm-hmm. and I just, I mean, honestly, I just don't know at times what is going on with him. I mean, frankly, there are just some misfires and some decisions that I can't understand that don't really compute 
if you've watched him closely and kind of watched his progress from, you know, getting a shot in the second half of, of you know, the Butch is fired season into next year to now, it doesn't it doesn't really add up. I mean, there's something really that has really gone awry. And I don't, I mean, I certainly don't have a solution other than, hey, Jarrett, play better, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm all ears, though. Yeah, I mean, in that piece, you know, that I, I wrote for uh, On The Athletic uh, today, we kind of went into some of the things and some of the possible reasons. I, I think, you know, one thing that I alluded to last week is, you know, we've heard all year, or all offseason, rather, that this is a really quarterback-centric offense, that Jim Chaney puts a ton on his quarterbacks. And, you know, it would make some sense that maybe he's thinking a little bit too much. It's a little bit of information overload. You're talking about he's got a lot more control at the, at the, uh, at the uh, you know, pre-snap. He can move his protections around, you know, move his motion. He can do all those things. Um, but, you know, you talk to people around the program, and I can tell you that, you know, he sort of he sort of – it sounds like when they're talking to him that he's got everything under control. But then when they go back and look at what's happened on the field when it's it's live balls, just T. Martin and, uh, uh, you know, the passing game coordinator and, of course, Chaney, they just don't really understand what is going through his head, what is happening, where the disconnect is. And that is a problem um, because he's not seeing stuff. I mean, in addition to not being accurate, I think that the accuracy issues in my mind are a byproduct of not feeling comfortable. If you're thinking a little bit too much, if you're not sure of what you're seeing, you're not sure of your decisions, uh, that's going to affect your, 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 your body. It just is. Uh, and I think that cannot help. Uh, but I, I just, you know, you do all the math, and, and I get into this in the piece, you do all the math. His offensive line is better. He's got better receivers. His backs are better. He's got a more accomplished play caller, and yet he's sort of been the weak link uh, in the offense, and, and it's, it's wild to see. Uh, what are you expecting to see uh, at quarterback this week uh, against Georgia? I expect to see Garantano. I could be wrong, but that's that's my expectation. Um, I, I'm going to stick with what I said after the Florida game. I think that if you go to a younger guy right now, you know, you are throwing up the white flag. And I just don't know where in practice Garantano could be leapfrog. Now, maybe the Tennessee coaches are just look at the game film and say, I, you know, someone else has got to get a chance. But I mean, if you're trying to build a young quarterback's confidence, I'm not sure the Georgia Bulldogs are the best opponent <laughs> for that. Now, would I be surprised at all if we see multiple quarterbacks Saturday night? No, I will not. But I, I think it'll be Garantano to start this game. What about you? Well, I mean, Georgia did lose the SEC championship last year to a little-known backup quarterback named Jalen Hurts. I don't know what happened <laughs> to him. But, uh, you know, there's a precedent there. No, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can – I'll say two things. I think Garantano, I'll be shocked if he doesn't start, but I'll also be shocked if Maurer doesn't play. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just think you got to give him a meaningful series. you got to see what happens. I mean, there's going to be some bruises and bumps. I mean, if, if Tennessee goes up 14 nothing in the first two drives, then, yeah, maybe you don't see Maurer. 
but uh, I'm willing to bet that probably is not the outcome in the first quarter this week uh, as a 22-point underdog. But, you know, I think in some ways you play it by ear. If, if you see a different Garantano, if you can smell, oh, no, 2018 Jarrett or the Jarrett that they thought they were getting in 2019, if he starts poking his head out, he starts dropping some balls and making good decisions, seeing guys that are open, finding them, not throwing it high and wide by 15 yards like we saw that, that uh, Dom Wood Anderson throw. You know, against Florida, that was probably one of the worst throws of his career. Yeah. Ironically, he backs it up with one of the best throws of his career, like two plays later. We've seen a couple little glimpses, just not very very frequently, and we've seen a lot more of the guy misfiring, throwing into coverage, uh, just making poor decisions and, and throwing inaccurate balls, and it's, it's hard to uh, – it's hard to sort of square that um, with what we have seen. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just think you, you have to give Maurer a shot at some point and just see what you got. Uh, he, he, We did that review last week at The Athletic. If you guys aren't a subscriber, it was on review a lot better, a lot better than I thought it was live. Uh, a couple really nice moments, and you got to put him in a position to succeed. Um, and they did. They ran some RPOs. They made some easy throws. and. Uh, you know, he, he tried his best not to make the big mistake, and uh, he, he did okay, I think. Uh, you know, certainly he'd want to be a little bit better, but just Tennessee, you know, kind of like the Pruitt situation we talked about last week. There's no good outcomes in this quarterback situation. You just need Garantano to play better. And it's kind of like you said, Joe. It's, it's like it, it kind of is that simple. But the question, I think, is how patient are you? How long do you wait until – the Garantana you expect to see comes out. I mean, is it October? Is it the first week of November? Is it halftime of the Georgia game? I mean, I, that that's that's sort of what they've got to figure out. No, I agree. To me, it's, you know, he's got to play winning football against Mississippi State uh, because I think Tennessee can beat Mississippi State at home. And mm-hmm. I know I'm a little bit biased by the last viewing of Mississippi State, but I, I do believe that. And so I think you want to come out of this game with a healthy Garantano who maybe has done some good things in the game. I think the score is going to dictate that you can play multiple quarterbacks in this game. I think we'd be very surprised if that's not the case. I think Georgia's going to end up winning this game by a lot of points. So, you know, you can you can see Maurer, and I agree. It's a good idea to get him a look. Another hard thing here is going to be the crowd. Now, you know, if this were an NFL team, then you know, you'd have people screaming for Maurer and you'd have Garantano booed at every incompletion. That's not going to be that way. But you know the crowd will react differently to the two quarterbacks. Maurer mm-hmm. you know, takes off and runs for a four-yard scramble. and like, There's going to be excitement. People get excited about the young guy. They got excited about Garantano when he made plays two years ago late in that season. Like, oh, the young guy. Okay, you can see some signs <laughs> of life. It's the same feeling for Maurer when he comes out, and it's going to be the same sort of impatience and you know restlessness for Garantano but to me the coaches have got to you know stick with them I think and and look there are there are some winnable games on this schedule and I know that there's a lot of Vols fans who will say well Maurer has a better chance of winning them than Garantano look how he's played but I still think we've seen evidence that Garantano can play winning football and that's just different from a freshman. So um, I, I think you have to, of course, you're coming to this game, you give it your all. You want to see as much as you can see from your players, but you've got to have a little bit of an eye on Mississippi State too because that's an opportunity. 
Yeah, I think if you if you see him sort of just self-destruct in the big games, the Georgia, the Alabama, or he makes plays that are not winning football plays, uh, you know, in the in the Mississippi State South South Carolina games, you got to let Garantano sort of control how much Maurer plays. Um, I don't think you got to have a quick trigger, but you can't wait too long um, because I think I still think the the biggest thing that we're talking about here, and the biggest thing that you look around college football and you notice is that if you've got the guy. If it's year four and you're still wondering if it's the guy or a guy that can win you ball games, I mean, I think you already know the answer to that question. Um, that's just sort of where you're at. This was supposed to be kind of the breakout year for Garantano. It has been anything but. Um, and it, it's hard to believe that's what we're seeing, but that's what you're seeing. Uh, and, and maybe some the, the switch flips and we sort of see something close to where he was a year ago. But these numbers don't lie. Um, and, and Tennessee is is in a rough spot uh, because of of you know a lot of reasons. But but I do think you know we've said it before, and I do think it's true. Garantano plays close to the level that he played a year ago. Tennessee's three and one, but instead they are one and three, and that's just kind of where you're at. Uh, yeah, no, no question sh- about it. Yeah, shifting gears. Um, Joe, what, what would you say if I told you that? In 16 games, <laughs> Jeremy Pruitt already has the same number of 25-plus uh, point losses as Derek Dooley had in three years and three times hmm. as many losses to unranked teams by that amount. Yeah, that was uh, that, that story was a ray of sunshine in the, in the uh, <laughs> bye week. Um, you know, it, and it's very interesting, and my first thought was, well, did he have to play – the same Georgia and Alabama that Pruitt does. But, you know, Pruitt's only played each of those teams once, so that's only two of the of – the, well, actually, I guess he has seven, right? He has seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I do think that in Pruitt's defense, that you know, this is, this is partially cumulative erosion of the program. You know, I mean, I think, you know, it was in a certain – Shape when Lane Kiffin took over, and then even when Dooley took over from that, and I I feel that Dooley it went down awfully quickly under Dooley, but you know Jeremy Pruitt takes over a program that then had gone through all of Dooley, the Butch sort of uprising and then quick collapse, and you know there was I mean you look at some of the games look West Virginia was a very talented team in his first game, I think the but an, but an eight and four team still. Yeah, that's true. They didn't end up being as good as we thought. The inexcusable one, well, the, the the big one, which is probably like fireable immediately on the spot for like most Tennessee coaches in history, is that one of them is to Vanderbilt. Yep. You know, so you know, but then you know, Missouri fifty to seventeen, and the Florida just awful, just complete, you know, home performance last year forty seven twenty one. Those are ugh, ugly. So you know, I I think there is some defense here in terms of you know. It's, the program has kind of trundled along here, and, and and things have been chipped away, and it's easier for the new coach to have these ugly losses than like I think Derek Dooley inherited something better than Pruitt did. That's, you know, I, I really do think that Dooley is probably the biggest culprit so far of all of Tennessee football's problems from a coaching perspective. But still, yeah, that's a lot of bad losses, and it seems like. So far in his tenure, you've had a couple really good days and too many really bad days. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the, the, the total wins for Jeremy Pruitt. You have the Kentucky 
in the Auburn games. Nothing, nobody can take anything away from those guys. Those were legitimate, really fantastic wins. But the rest are not great. And I, and I think, too, you know, so I've only been covering this team, for what, seven, 18 months, something like that. And I try to come in and look at this with fresh eyes. Um, you know, I was kind of floating sort of nationally over the last two seasons before I got here, so I was aware of everything at Tennessee, but not obviously to the level that I am now. Um, and I don't try to sort of see things <clears throat> in the same manner if somebody who's covered the team for eight or ten years or whatever. But let me just tell you, I was extremely surprised to see that that Missouri game that got Butch Jones fired was his only lopsided loss to an unranked team. Yeah. And I think when, when you start looking at these things, the question is not so much the pure numbers. I think the pure numbers can help put things in context, but you start going down this list, okay? Tennessee, probably good enough to get to a bowl game last year. Would you would you agree with that? A good enough team? Yeah, sure. To get a bowl game? Yeah. Sure. Are they 26 points worse than a West Virginia team that it goes 8-4? and four? Are they 26 points worse than... You know, a Florida team with a first-year head coach last year that got hot late in the year and, and did win 10 games, but are they 26 points worse than that team? Georgia and Alabama, I'll give you that. Are they 33 points worse than a Missouri team that goes to, I think they were in the Liberty Bowl last year? Are they 25 points worse to a Vanderbilt It's about sort of playing up to your potential. Are they 31 points worse than this Florida team? I mean – the bottom line is Tennessee's not playing to their potential or even really close to it. And I don't think that, you know, anybody should be, you know, picketing the facility to fire Pruitt right now, but you can't really hide from these results. It is uh, staggering how bad it is. And I just, I just think ultimately, yes, there are talent issues. Yes, there are depth issues. But when you look at what is he getting out of this team and what is actually on this team, it's not even close to its potential. And that is where it gets really, really troubling for him when you look at both trying to assess the first 16 games and project however many future games there are, whether that's 200 or another 10, you know? Sure. No, it's it's all fair. Everything you said is fair. You know, it's funny. I, this list, too, you have the 38-12 loss at Georgia last year. And actually, and of course, that was the game after the game, you know, Pruitt was actually crying a little bit. But Yeah, I want to ask you about that this week, yeah. You know, I actually came away from that game, and I remember writing, like, you know, don't – if you watch the game, you saw some things here. You know, they hung in in some ways that I was surprised by, and they had some just brutal mistakes, and George is picking up scoop and scores and stuff like that. I mean, that game actually could have been a lot closer. I know people don't want to hear that, but, like, you know, all of these are not created equal. But to your point, some of them are just like, what happened? And, again, I think the last two games of last year – look different to me now they were alarming then and like what in the world just happened to this team but then you add tack on what we've seen this year and you're starting to wonder what the heck is happening so i think that's one thing i would also say a very unpopular take here but but i think your story i think your story also does point out like butch jones was not nearly as bad as some people want to now believe in retrospect you know yeah that I mean, last year left a really bitter taste in people's mouths yeah it all collapsed on him and every stupid catchphrase was repeated a million times on twitter and all that and look, he the deserved to be fired. The program helmet, if you will. Yes. <laughs> yes. But he, I mean, I think a lot of Tennessee fans at this point would take, you know, some of the seasons he turned in and the trajectory that we thought we were watching at the time. And, of course, 
You know, there's a, still a big difference between that level and what Tennessee wants to get back to. But boy, there's an awful big difference between what they are now and what they were at his best. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked about it, and people want to talk about the Georgia and Alabama. I don't think those are that important of a game of a, you know games right now for Tennessee. Agree. Don't get embarrassed. Don't get a name your number fifty-five nothing. You know, thirty-eight nothing at half, and that has not happened in either of those games. You don't want that, um, but no one's saying, oh, you got to hang with those teams. It just don't make it absurd where, like I said, it's a name-your-number sort of game, and, and Tennessee hasn't done that. More troubling are all the games where you should either be competitive or close, and you're getting run off your own home field in multiple, multiple situations. Missouri, that was a home game. Uh, Florida, a home game. Just absolutely uh, embarrassed, and, and it might happen again this week. Granted, you know, it's Georgia, but – uh, these are it's tough for for attendance. It's tough for for fans who put a lot into this. I mean, this is a pretty loyal fan base. I've been really impressed in the what eighteen months I've been here. These fans have gotten not a lot, and they keep showing up. Uh, and they're you know whoever shows up on Saturday uh, in a primetime game, you know you're who wants to come to their home field and watch the sort of you know Jake from Heisman exhibition and and not watch Tennessee try to compete because I'm not sure that that game is going to be all that competitive. No, you're right. I mean this, this is here's a good example of uh, you know who who are the true fans of Tennessee because I think most people know what they're going to see in this game. And I'm with you. I I've been constantly impressed. I still think back to the win over Florida in 2016 when it looked like Butch was going to win the East and you know they were flying high and they were down big and roared back and that place was as loud and just awesome as you'll find in college football and that was you know amid this extended downturn for the program everyone thought it was ending then but you know the BYU game I mean that was that was a tremendous atmosphere after the humiliation of Georgia State so I do think it's going to be interesting to see this crowd, you know, and then if if what if the result is what we expect against Georgia, you know, what about Mississippi State? That's to me again. I think that's a game that Tennessee can have and needs to have, has to have. How much? I mean, how beaten down is the fan base by then? And how much do they want to come out and see that? And look, Tennessee administrators are paying close attention to that, you know, because certainly apathy is is always a discussion point when you've got stuff like this happening on the field. Yeah, I mean, looking ahead to this week, you know, no one's really talked that much about this Georgia game. It's more interesting than I think people realize. you got a lot of coaches on staff who've spent a lot of time at Georgia. Jim Chaney, obviously, the top of that list. Tennessee pays, what, $700,000 annually <laughs> to, uh, to steal him away from Georgia. Uh, Georgia, I mean, you asked Georgia fans. I don't think they were super broken up about that, but I think it was definitely an upgrade for Tennessee at, at OC. Jerry Pruitt's obviously been there. Nobody really wants to talk about that because Tennessee's got its own issues. But what is, uh, what is success in your mind for Tennessee this week against Georgia? What are the things you're, you're kind of looking for? You know, I don't know if there's – I don't know if I have a number in mind like – Lose by seventeen or less, you know. I like. I don't know what the line is, frankly. I don't know. I believe it's you know twenty-two. Right uh, okay. Twenty-two. Yeah. Beat the point spread. Uh, no, well, they're their own three against FBS teams against the spread, and and let's see, they failed to cover by uh, thirty-four points against uh, Georgia State. Uh, they failed <laughs> to cover by what was it? 
I guess, six points against BYU, and then they failed to cover by 17 points against Florida. And then, of course, Chattanooga. I guess if FCS games, you usually see like a day of sort of weird spread. I, it's hard to really count those, but they get they covered in that one by whatever it would have been. Um, but, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, that would help him. <laughs> I don't know. If yeah, do I mean, that, just be, look, him. I mean, play 60 minutes. Play 60 hard minutes of football. Be in position. You know, don't give up, you know, don't have huge busts where you give up big plays. You know, don't have dumb personal fouls. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Like, look like a team that means business and does not stop playing through 60 minutes. And, yeah, score a couple touchdowns. You know, make Georgia earn it. Force Georgia to kick some field goals. Uh, there's a big gap in talent between these teams and a big gap in overall quality. But you can still look like a team that has a clue in a lopsided loss. And I think that's really, I mean, it's such a cliche. Don't look at the scoreboard, but that's, that's this. Go out and put together some good football. Easier said than done. <laughs> True. <laughs> that scoreboard. They put a lot of money into that scoreboard at Neyland. It is a very nice scoreboard. Even look at it. I mean, hey, that's HD quality. What 1080p? Listen. You can watch the screen. Just you know, like cover your uh, the part with the the numbers on it. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Precisely. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I think you're probably right. A lot of those things look competent. Don't do something that just makes the fans just groan and sort of longingly gaze at the exit ramp i mean that's just that sort of simple show some fight i mean last year tennessee they went to went on the road they got dominated for two quarters they showed a lot of fight for about 15 minutes and then it kind of got away from them late justin field who you know is rumored to be a pretty good quarterback uh based on what my sources are telling me this year <laughs> uh you know he had some nice plays there late in that game to uh to kind of put it away but but um Tennessee looked pretty good in that ball game, but you know, for a brief moment, um, I mean, basically the the uh, a quarter, they kind of bounced back, and and we haven't seen really that team that we saw for a quarter. Have they shown up much this year? Maybe the first half against BYU, maybe. That's probably about it. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, <laughs> that, yeah. Well, and look, I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, that is that game. Overall, uh, was to me that's that's still the standard of this team. I mean, I think it still should be better than that because they have a talent advantage. But that was that was a team that you know responded at home at night amid a lot of adversity and doubts. And of course, we know how it ended. But um, yeah, I mean, there just hasn't been a lot. There, there, precious little. I think you put it like they've played their best. We were on Andy Staples' podcast. What they've played their best? What percentage of the time? Like a very small percentage of the time. And again, that's sort of like well, coaches have got to get a much higher percentage of your best football out of a football team because this team has talent. I, I, I'll they they can go two and ten, and I'll tell you that's not a two and ten collection yeah. of talent. Especially the first team. Yeah, we know they have depth issues, but if you look at the first team, I mean they're above average at receiver, above average at running back. Slightly below average at uh, offensive line, which is a, a step up from being just a complete disaster a year ago. Quarterback, you know, they were above average last year. They're below average this year. Let's see, defensive line, you're below average. Linebacker, your first team, your, your four starting linebackers, I would say they're probably slightly above average. Secondary, 
your safety's below average. Corners significantly above average last year. I'll say below average this year. But still, that's a team that should be that should be sniffing a bowl game. Not saying if the if everything breaks right for them, you know, four and eights in the cards for this team. You know, that's mm. not that's not the that, that team is too good to be saying that. Yeah, no. And look, if you look around the rest of the league again, we just, I mentioned earlier Mississippi State. They looked awful at Auburn, and I think Auburn's really good. I mean, I think Auburn is uh, a rolling football team right now. But still, that's opportunity. You know, I think South Carolina. Looks pretty good. They, they thump Kentucky, but I don't consider that a no-chancer either. Yeah. I mean, Vanderbilt right now looks really bad. You know, Vanderbilt is really struggling, and I thought maybe they'd show more life after the ter- you know the brutal start to their schedule, but they could have lost to Northern Illinois. I mean, there, there, are, there are games out there that if the Vols got their crap together, could be theirs. So I'm not even, you know, I, I, I'm not – totally buying that they have no chance to get within some range of playing for a bowl game but you know it's just that there's a lot of stuff we haven't seen yet that's going to have to emerge pretty quickly here well saturday will be uh well it'll be a football game joe (laughs) that that it will be that i'm not quite sure what to expect uh but uh you know that's why they play the games uh, Joe, I gotta leave you with the fantastic food situation from this last week. Uh, so right. there's a. Have you ever heard of or attended a or or uh, dined at a Wings Over location? They changed the name based on where the 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 place is. Have you heard of this? Like place? Wings Over Fill in City? Yes, basically. No, I have not. Okay, so there they just opened one on uh, Cumberland downtown, and they had a little. I don't know, I guess we'll call it a media shindig. Uh, you know, if somebody uh, invites me to a, a free buffet of wings, I'm going to take them up on that. Uh, but listen, it was delicious. I, I, I've i soured a bit on the Buffalo Wild Wings experience. Uh, you know, the, we're getting a little bit lazy with the fryer, uh, a little bit... Uh, <laughs> a little bit uh, hoity-toity with the prices a little bit, and... Uh, <laughs> I, this is a uh, crispy, a bunch of good sauces. Uh, I enjoyed myself. Uh, so if you're in, if you're in Knoxville, I check it out. I uh, they're gonna be open. I think they're gonna do pretty well. First of all, the food is good. They're gonna be open till like 3 a.m. So that's that's an advantage for for them for students and that kind of stuff. Uh, I enjoyed myself. Um, and uh, you know, Joe, we're gonna have to hit that up at some point. I love wings, so I'm excited about that. That sounds good. <laughs> my life's good. not a huge wings person, so my wing consumption rate has plummeted uh, in the last few years. But every now and then, like if I'm on the road or something and I don't know, I'm in like, if I have to eat or my schedule or I'm like starving and I want to stop in like Mount Juliet or something, I'm on, on my way somewhere, I'll stop and eat there every now and then. But uh, it's... Uh, you know, it's it's it was it was a a positive experience. We haven't traveled a ton. I went last last week. You know, going down to Florida, I just was was it was an exhausting trip. I I, I did not have any super memorable food uh, run-ins. Uh, anything anything that's that's crossed your plate in the last week or two, Joe, that we need to know about. Yeah, Florida was a lot of nothing special. For, I didn't even have seafood. <laughs> in, for, covered two games of Florida, I had no seafood. That's a huge fail. I did have apricot glaze. Well, you are, you are in central Florida at least. So. 
Yeah, but I was in Jacksonville before that, so yeah. I was. You know, we were out on the beach. I I blew that one. But apricot glazed salmon at the Hudson Grill in Atlanta, night before the Titans game, and yeah, pretty good on some greens. It was uh, it was good. I, I'm a huge salmon guy. I'm a huge seafood in general, but I love. I, if I see salmon on the menu, I'm going to try it. And I'd never had apricot glaze, but it was pretty good. So any kind of check sweet it out. Glaze, any kind of sweet glaze on a salmon. You got it's a pretty fatty fish. It's delicious. Yes. I am a big fan of. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. I, uh, you know, we're. I, I gotta get. We, you know, we bought a house this year. I'm trying to get a uh, uh, a grill. I'm afraid it may wait too late, or maybe too late in the season. I may wait until next year. Roll that well, this might be the time to buy, though, right? Well, maybe, but the problem is it's football season, and it's going to get cold here in a little bit, and I just I don't want to buy it and then have it sit out there for the winter and just do nothing for, like, five months, you know? Yeah, but you've got sweatshirt weather coming up. That's still good grilling weather. <laughs> I, I say I'm all for you. Buy the gear, get the grill, man. Get the grill. Uh, all right, I'm going to cut this audio. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email it to my wife when we're done here. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Uh, well, that will do it for uh, this week's free episode of PFL. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, like us, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, and of course, subscribe to The Athletic if you are not already. You can get the stories we've talked about here today and plenty more. Uh, I've got a couple projects I'm working on. I think fans will really like those. Uh, but you can see, obviously, more about that in the near future. Uh, so, Joe, any parting uh, parting thoughts for us? Well, just uh, you know, it's uh, this is not this is not the game. Like you said earlier, Georgia and Alabama—they're almost. I'm not saying they're non-issues. There's still a lot to look for and to find and to find out about this team. But I. It's almost gotten to the point where these games are, you just want to get through them with your players healthy and move on to games in which you can be competitive. And I do think there are a lot of those ahead for the Vols. And maybe I'm being a little optimistic because we haven't seen the Vols play in a while now, but um, I still think there's more for this team. You might be right. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, it's like I said, they haven't been playing anywhere close to their potential. Um, So would you be floored if they swept Mississippi State, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt? I wouldn't be. They'd be sort of like, hey, this team is sort of playing a little bit now. Um, Missouri, I'm not so sure. I think Missouri might be pretty good, and they got to go on the Mm -hmm. road. Um, But, you know, you're not wrong in that there's a lot more potential out there for this team. The question is, can the staff get them there? And that is why they play the games, Joe. That's the question. (laughs) Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. Uh, see you guys again on the other side and uh, I'm sure next week's review of the Georgia game will uh, be of course a, a, a uncharacteristically sunny episode of PFL uh, you know launching a podcast in a season like this Joe there's only so much sun we can bring to the skies we've got food we've always got food <laughs> well we'll lean on that we'll see you guys again next week <laughs>